Good morning, 514 Church. Good morning to everyone who's uh, watching online right now on our live stream. A special welcome to you today. Uh, my name is Carmen. I'm on the team here, and this is such an honor uh, and a privilege to be with you guys today. And I love this series because I love stories. Like, I really, really love stories. I love how stories can totally captivate you, uh, just as you saw, right? Even little kids, their stories are sometimes the best. In one moment, you can be laughing so hard your stomach aches, and in the very next moment, you can be moved to tears. And stories shape us in ways that we can never forget sometimes. And the amazing thing is that uh, the person of Jesus Christ, he loves stories. Jesus loves stories. He was a master storyteller. If you read through the scriptures, uh, you see that Jesus used storytelling as one of his most favorite teaching techniques. And typically he would use stories to make a very profound point. He wasn't just telling a little random story just so he could gather a crowd or just so he could get a lot of information across. No, Jesus was telling stories to move people, to move people and to describe this life, this, this uh, Jesus-following way that was this brand new and revolutionary way of thinking and living that blew people's minds. And so when people come to me and they say, man, I think the Bible is just so boring, I say, oh, man, then you haven't read the Jesus stories. You haven't read the Jesus stories because in them, Jesus is saying things that had this jaw-dropping, countercultural impact 2,000 years ago. What's so amazing is that you and I today, this is what we're about to do, we're going to look at the same stories, and they can impact and have power in our own lives. And what's even more interesting is that if you, uh, if you read the scriptures like you would turn a gem and you start to maybe see it through a different angle or through a different perspective, uh, you might just learn something brand new. Your faith might be challenged, it might be enlightened in a brand new way, or you may be impacted or influenced like never before. And you might see that Jesus was really like saying something underneath these stories and you go, man, I can't believe I've been missing it. I can't believe I've been missing. I can't believe I'm just learning this for the first time. And this is what has been happening to me in my own life with a Jesus story that I've read. I've heard it a hundred times. And then recently I've turned the gym. I've turned the gym. And I've seen a different angle and I've learned some things. And what I have been missing changes everything. It changes everything. And we, uh, we happen to do this in our, our everyday lives. We happen to do this in our own lives from time to time. We think that we know about something. We think that we understand an experience. And then uh, we, we turn the gym. We gain a different perspective. We see a different angle. Maybe you gain clarity. You gain information. Maybe you just grow up. And you think, man, I, I didn't really see it that way. And you have that like aha moment of, wow, I'd been missing it. And you might say to yourself, that's just not what I thought. And that is not what I thought. And sometimes the bad thing is, is you take the gym and you, you turn the angle and you see something negative, right? You think you know it about experience and you go, oh man, I don't really want to see that because this, this angle was way better and this one's really negative and I don't know if I want to see that. And this has been happening in my life with something that many of you are experiencing right now. It's this word, vacay vacation. And I thought that I had an idea of what vacation was for a parent. 
okay, before I was a parent. So I, I would see my parents on vacation and I thought, man, they look so relaxed. I mean, they look like they're just totally enjoying themselves. This is the best week of their life. And my eight-year-old little high-maintenance self, I was like, no, this is the best week of my life. And they look like they're having a great time. And then something changed. My little gym changed quite a bit because uh, I went on vacation with my three children, okay, as a parent. And that's all I really needed. This year, we went to what many of you like to call the most magical place on earth. I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so we went to the most magical place on earth, and I learned two things. Number one, I learned that vacation is not what I thought it was as a parent. And number two, I'm debating now if it's really actually the most magical place on the earth. I don't know if it is. And here's why. We got there. uh, We had a good night, and then we had a good day at the Magic Kingdom. We were feeling the magic. And then that night, our second night we were there, our our little son, Mac, who was one-year-old at the time, he starts, uh, we have three kids, by the way, he starts um, profusely vomiting in the night, okay? P.S., this is a story about vomit. If you don't like vomit, you should leave now because you're going to hear about it. So he starts throwing up, and I mean, he is so sick. It's like every 30 minutes, he's just throwing up. And so we stay up with him all that night. And then the next day, everyone goes and experiences more magic. And I sit in the hotel room with my puking child, which wasn't that magical, as you can imagine. And then fast forward to that night, I was getting in bed. I looked at my husband and I said, I don't, my stomach doesn't feel good. And he said, no, no, you're fine. I said, no, no, I'm not fine. And a few hours later, you know where this is going, I started in and every 30 minutes I'm puking and getting sick and it was totally miserable. And you know, one thing about vacation, it's great but not so great, is typically you're in like a little closer spaces. So I'm in a room with my entire family and I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but I was trying to like uh, vomit quietly. <laughs> it's very, I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I, it's very difficult to vomit quietly. If you've never tried it, maybe you should. And so we wake up the next morning My husband comes to me, he says, and this was the day we were supposed to be traveling back to Ohio, okay, later in the afternoon. I've been up all night puking, Max about puking. I said, he says, you need to get yourself ready. And I said, no, no. I said, no, we aren't going anywhere. I said, you call the magical front desk and you tell them that we are staying another night. You call Southwest, you get our flights changed. We are not leaving this place. I am not traveling like this. And he came back 10 minutes later, he said, hey, your plan doesn't really work, sweet pea, because that was $3,000 to do all that. So you need to pull yourself together and we're going home. He might have said a little nicer, I can't remember. He was, it was monstrous at that point. So I crawl to the bathroom, I'm throwing my stuff together. I kid you not, 10 minutes later, I hear a shrill, shrill cry, scream, my most dramatic daughter, she started it. And so now she's throwing up and I'm not joking you, 10 minutes later, my oldest daughter, Scarlett, starts throwing up. So now four of us are puking on the same day we're supposed to be getting on a plane going back to Ohio. Doesn't this sound like not so good, right? And so uh, we, we decide to go. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, buys a plane ticket to help us get home. And we get on the, the magical express shuttle. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there. There are these buses. They take you to the Orlando airport. And, I mean, we sucked the magic right out of these buses. Everyone is staring at us. My two girls are puking profusely on the magic express. And we get to the Orlando airport. We literally pay some random employee to take our luggage. And we come up to the dreaded TSA line. 
And it's hot because it's Orlando and the airport just smells. You know how. And so we get up to this TSA line, and I'm telling you, it's just snaking for miles and miles. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I'm a germaphobe. But I was desperate to conserve energy, okay? And so I got in the TSA line, and I literally sat down in the TSA line. And then we would move a little bit, and I would crawl. And then I'd help someone puke, and then I'd crawl a little bit more. And we finally made it to the terminal. Of course, our flight was delayed because this is just the worst trip ever. And uh, we're just about to, to board our plane. And my husband looks at me and he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can do it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, I'm going to get sick. And I said, no, 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 you're not. And he said, no, no, I am. And he pukes right there in the terminal. Everyone's staring at us. And the ironic thing is he's puking at this point because we don't have anything, right? He's puking in a gift shop bag that has Mickey's giant smiling face on it. <laughs> like, oh, Mickey, if you only knew what just happened. And so now I'm debating, but here's what I found out with that. If I have my kids, it's, it's not a vacation, I don't think. It's not. It's just a four-letter word. It's just a trip. I hope that changes. Disclaimer, we had a great time. I love Disney. I love Mickey. I love it all. But yeah, it, was just, it just wasn't what I thought. It just wasn't what I thought. I've done this recently with another thing, and this was just a little more enlightening, maybe not, not so negative, a little embarrassing. Uh, when I want to sound smart, I say this phrase right here, and maybe many of you have said this, for all intents and purposes, right? So when I'm making a big point, for all intents and purposes, we're going to go this route, or for all intents and purposes, we're doing this. And so I use this phrase, and I was with some friends a little while back, and they said, you know there's the phrase, for all intents and purposes, people say it really wrong. And I thought, well, I know. I know I'm not saying it wrong. And um, they said a lot of people say, for all intensive purposes. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I've been saying this my whole life. I really have. I've been saying for all intensive purposes my whole life, and I don't even know what that means. What is an intensive purpose? Anyone know? Nope, I don't. That's just not what I thought. That's just not what I thought. And we do this. And as I said, I've turned the gym, right? I've turned the gym with this, this Jesus story that I've read a hundred times and I know it. And I've turned the gym by learning some new things, uh, by gaining a different perspective, by listening to people who are smarter than me and they interpret the scriptures. I learn from them. And what it's done is it's challenged my perception. It's literally flipped the story and the meaning of it upside down for me. And the result has been so beautiful. And the truth has shook me. Because this is a story that I read so simply for so many years. And now I believe that this story could be the most paradigm-shifting, disorienting parable and story of all time and what it displays about the heart of Jesus is so beautiful. I mean, that's what I hope you see. Maybe you have a, an angle of how you think Jesus is. And I hope today you maybe see a different angle about Jesus in his heart as we take a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, don't judge yet. Because you may be thinking, oh, geez, Carmen, don't you know the meaning of the Good Samaritan? It's like pretty, you know, pretty one-on-one. And we know you don't understand how to say things, but don't you get this? Is there really something that's so earth-shattering that you're just now learning, you're 30 years old, in, in this story? And the answer is absolutely yes. 
Absolutely, yes. The interesting thing about the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, originated in the Scriptures, was told first by the person of Jesus Christ, is universally known. I could go to any crowd, not a church, any crowd, and I could say Good Samaritan. I could define someone's behavior as being a Good Samaritan, and no one would look at me and be like, who in the world, what is she saying, that crazy woman? No one would say that because the Good Samaritan is an idiom in our culture, and just maybe you've said the words Good Samaritan and had no idea that you were quoting Jesus from 2,000 years ago. And this story, typically, it gets watered down. It gets watered down to being about roadside assistance or helping someone in trouble or helping a neighbor. But, man, if that's all we make it out to be, I think we're missing it. I think we're missing it because what I have found is that it's about so much more. It really is. And so today, church, here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you in. I want you to take out your own gem, so to speak, and go, okay, I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to look at this story through a different angle, and here's why. This story has seriously changed my life. It's had a profound impact in my life, and I think it can do the same for you. I think it can alter the way you see people. It can alter the way that you think and that you live, and the, the reason that is is because this is a Jesus story. And Jesus, that's, that's what he's about. Jesus can change people's lives. He can change yours. He can change mine. And so we're going to look at this story. And right now, I don't know if you're familiar with this phrase. This is going around on social media. Everyone's talking about how they're living their best life. Yeah? You live in your best life, high schoolers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Someone will be at a beach. They'll be somewhere really amazing, fabulous, and they'll say, yep, I'm living my best life. And the other night, our one-year-old son, we were sitting around our little fire pit, and um, we snapped this picture of him. <laughs> and we were like, I mean, he's just, he's totally living his best life right now. I mean, look, at he is lounging. He's vibing. He is feeling so good. But I really believe uh, that this story, that this story today could actually lead me, it could actually lead you to experiencing your best life. So here we go. This is found in Luke 10, 25 through 37. Uh, You can pull out your Bible on your phone. You can look at the screen, however, but here we go. And it starts out with a question, with a question. And Jesus is answering a question by telling the story. The more you understand this question, It changes everything, the undertones of it. And it shows you how actually edgy and fascinating the story of the Good Samaritan was. And this question and the understanding of it is so pivotal in the meaning of this passage. And so here we go. On one occasion, it says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. A couple things to note. It says this was being asked by a lawyer who was a religious expert, so he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about, and he already had an opinion. And as it says, he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to trip him up or see if he could catch him saying something wrong where he could go, no, 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 that's not right, Jesus. And typically, when I've read this story... I've read, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe like many of you have. I've equated eternal life with the afterlife, or I've equated eternal life with heaven. But as I said, I've turned the gym and I've learned something, and I've learned something about the Jewish culture. 
Because in the Jewish culture, culture, the amazing thing is that they really didn't talk about eternal life, meaning the afterlife, or eternal life, mean, meaning heaven. And to be honest, in, in this day and time, they actually didn't talk about life after death very much. And so I've learned that this religious leader, he wasn't actually asking about life after death or the pathway to heaven And I've read it that way, that he's asking Jesus, what's the missing key? What's the golden ticket that's going to get me into heaven? And that's not what he was saying. Because this phrase meant something different. He was actually more so asking about life before death. And he was asking Jesus, look, I'm talking about the life right here and right now. He was referring to the abundant life. He was saying, Jesus, how do I have the most abundant life? How do I have the best life? How do I have the fullest life? The life that you talk about, Jesus, the life that you share in these stories, how do I experience that life on this side of eternity? And for me, this has changed everything. This changes everything. And I had been missing this the whole time. Eternal life, they didn't mean in this culture Heaven, they meant the life right here and right now. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you're sitting here today, I'm wondering, man, someone tell me how to have the best life. Someone tell me the key to what living in my best life actually looks like. And so Jesus is this master communicator. He's a master communicator. And so he answers the question with a question. It goes on. And he says, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And this response was exactly how everyone would have expected him to respond. Because every good Jewish person knew that the answer to this question was found in the law, which was found in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And this is a mainly Jewish crowd. And so this religious expert, he answers this question, and I'm sure the whole crowd starts to, like, join him and chirp along as he says. He answered, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Now, a quick little time out here. Uh, Earlier on in another Q&A session, Jesus was asked a similar question by another religious leader. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment of them all? And he did something very, very profound in this moment. Because Jesus was a Jewish man, and so he answered it this way. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he does something so profound because he's Jesus. He adds a second part that David taught about last week, and many of you know it. It's this right here. He added it to love your neighbor as yourself. And scholars and teachers say that when Jesus would have done this, a, a like a ripple, a wave would have went through the crowd. Because suddenly Jesus did something. He made our faith not only recognizable by our relationship with God, by my relationship with God, and how much I really love Jesus, how much I really love him with all my heart and my strength. Suddenly he makes our faith also recognizable by the way that we love and treat others. Our faith suddenly isn't just this vertical thing between me and God. No, no. If you want to have a life of faith, then you have to include loving people and treating them a certain way. And this was such a big deal when Jesus did this. And so back to our 
story, the same guy, it appears that he was in the crowd this day because this is how he answers. Bonus points, right? He says this and then he adds, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus basically looks at him and he responds, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Note that he says live. Remember, it means the best life right here and now. And so Jesus says, yep, you got it. Do this and you will live. And he starts to walk away. And we all realize in this moment that uh, this religious leader wasn't done. All right, he hadn't even gotten to the really good part. He, he hadn't even gotten to the whole reason that he was there that day. And so he looks at Jesus, I'm sure over his shoulder, he stops him. And it says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove himself right. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We just turn the heat up. He's basically saying, look, Jesus, it, it sounds like you and I, we agree on the Jewish scriptures all day long. But I think the issue, Jesus, the breakdown is how we would define this word right here, neighbor, because Jesus, my neighbor, I'm a Jewish man, my neighbor is just any other Jewish person. It's my Jewish cousin or brother or sister or the Jewish person that I see in the middle of the town. That's who my neighbor is. But Jesus, I think that you have something else to say here. I think the way that you're going to go define neighbor and then tell me that that's, that's who I'm supposed to love, man, I don't think we agree on that one bit. Oh, and Jesus, he turns the gem. And the question in the beginning of how do I gain my full life starts to be answered. And Jesus says something. He says something and he defines someone that really does change the course of human history forever. He launches into the very well-known story. In reply, Jesus said, here we go, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Character number one enters. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, nope, he just passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who is another religious leader, when he came to the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side too. And then there's this third character that Jesus enters into his story. And it would have been very logical for Jesus to make this third character another Jewish person. So to make the point that many of us do that the neighbor is anyone who's lying on the side of the road. The neighbor is anyone who needs help. The neighbor is the one who's in trouble. <laughs> but you see in this moment that Jesus, man, he had so much more to say. He had so much more to say. He was going to show people a different angle a different way. And I hope in this moment you see how profound this was because literally Jesus takes the gem and he flips it upside down with these three words right here. He says, but a Samaritan. And I guarantee there was a large gasp that went through the crowd because no one would have expected Jesus to say the word Samaritan. No one would have expected that. I bet they started uncomfortably like shifting in their seats and they're like, what in the world did he seriously just say the word Samaritan? Because you see the Jewish and Samaritan people's relationship was extremely broken. It could best be described as institutionalized racism. 
Uh, Jewish people, Samaritans, they did not talk to, they did not look at, they did not touch, they did not marry, they did not associate in any way, shape, or form with one another. And their hatred went way deep in generations and generations back. And so to a Jewish person, a good Samaritan, no, 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 that did not exist. It didn't exist. It was an oxymoron. But Jesus goes on and he redefines neighbor. And he says this. He says, as he traveled, the Samaritan came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Again, no one's talking in the crowd because this is insane that this this Samaritan is touching this person. This is totally forbidden. Pours on oil and wine that was expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey. The Samaritan man is walking. This injured person is on his donkey. It says he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. I bet you could have heard a pin drop in this crowd. And I guarantee the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, started looking at each other thinking, what in the world did he just say? And then he looks at this religious leader and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, I mean, he's caught. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And one who had mercy on him. He can't even say the name, the word Samaritan. (laughs) Have you ever had such a a broken relationship with someone? Have you ever had so much conflict and so much hatred that you literally, you can't even say their name? So Jesus looks at him and he says, all right, go and do likewise. Likewise. You turn the gym, right, and you see this different angle because Jesus doesn't make the neighbor the one who needs help. Jesus doesn't make the neighbor the person who is in trouble. That's what we typically do too. No, Jesus has something else to say. You're supposed to love your neighbor, and then he redefines neighbor. He says your neighbor happens to be the unlovable, the unjust, the disgusting, worthy of no-name enemy. (laughs) Who saves the day, who saves the day, who becomes the hero, who who earns the title, the good Samaritan. And he's looking at this religious leader and saying, hey, you want to know who you're supposed to go love. You want to know who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the one who you think can't do any good. That's who you're supposed to go and love. And the significance of this story in my own life, the the paradigm-shifting nugget in this story that has impacted me so greatly is if we go back to the beginning. Because the question that we started with was, how do I live my best life? Jesus, how do I live my best life? And his answer is pretty clear. He says that loving people will lead to your best life. And not just your Jewish neighbor, no, no, not just the easy people, 
Not the ones who look like you, not the ones who talk like you, not the ones who walk and act and think and agree with you, have the same skin as you, think everything, you know, uh, in religion and politics. No, 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 Jesus says that is exactly not who I'm talking about. He says, if you want to figure out how to live your best life, well, loving all people, loving all people is what will lead you to your best life. And I've turned the gym, and this has impacted me so greatly because Jesus says one thing very simple, that our best lives have this common theme, one common theme. So we figure out how to love all people. And you think about it, the other two people who passed by that man lying on the side of the road, you know what they did? They just missed out. They missed out on experiencing their best life because they stopped at just loving God. But if you really, really, really love God, then what happens is you really, really, really love other people. And they missed out completely. And there's a book that... um, shares a sentiment that I've been reading. It's called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And this book, oh man, this is a game changer. Take a picture of it, write this title down, go read this book. It's the easiest book in the world you'll ever read. He's phenomenal. And in this book, uh, he, he talks about how we won't fully ever represent Jesus if we don't figure out how to love all people. And, and it's not just the easy people, especially not the easy people. It's, it's, it's our neighbors. It's the one who are bagging your groceries at Kroger. It's the person who's raking their leaves next door. It's the one who delivers your mail or you see passing you in a car on the freeway. It's the person down the hallway in the other cubicle. They're right in front of us and they're around the world. They're everywhere we look and go. And Bob Goff, he says that God made a whole world of neighbors. We just happen to call it earth. And he said something in this book that sometimes this may happen to you. It it literally stopped me in my tracks. I put the book down. I had to think about it. And it was this right here. He said that we typically spend our whole life avoiding the people that Jesus spent his whole life engaging the most. Man, we typically spend our whole life avoiding the people who Jesus spent his whole life engaging the most. And, you know, we hear this story and we hear, hear that we should love our enemies and we think, oh, phew, man, whew, I made it. Because, I mean, Jesus, I don't have enemies Jesus, I don't have like a hate list, okay? I have people I don't really like and people I disagree with, but I don't really have enemies. But I don't really know if when Jesus said to love our enemies, that's what he was talking about. I wonder if he just meant the people we don't understand. The people we just, we just don't agree with. The people who, who just don't live their lives like with the way that we think they should. I think that maybe that's who he thought we should go love. And just like this religious leader who's basically looking for a little loophole, and he's asking the question, what's the bare minimum? What's the bare minimum amount of neighborly love? What's the bare minimum I have to do in order to have this relationship with God? What's just the smallest little bit I can do? 
And I want to remind you today, remind myself today that, oh, Jesus did not come to earth and shatter every racial, every ethnic, every geographical barrier and then take on the sin of every single human. The messiness and the fall and the brokenness of every single person and then die a horrific death, become an ultimate neighbor, raised from the dead so that you and I could walk around and go live our lives to the minimum. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came for you and I to live our best lives. He came to give us abundant life. He came to give us full life. Jesus came so that we could be inspired to something greater. He came so that our perspective could be turned around. Our angle could be totally messed up. And then he goes, hey, you wanna live your best life? Oh, you gotta start by following me. And then when you start to follow me, you'll understand that I care about every single person that even you don't care about. You wanna start living your best life, go love them. And man, Jesus has this adventure. He says, that's how you go live it. That's when your full life will be experienced. That's what he came to do. And so this question arises right here, how? How, how, how do we do this? How do we really let this new angle impact our lives? How do we really start to live differently? And here's my answer, it's not that great. Ah, I'm not really sure. I'm not totally sure, but I'll tell you one thing. I truly think it begins with our hearts. I think it starts with our hearts being genuinely impacted by Jesus's heart being genuinely impacted by what he says matter, by what his heart breaks over, ours starts to break over that too. And then we start to take that and it affects how we feel. And then how we feel starts to affect how we treat people and how we see people. And that's the second thing, we start to actually see people differently. We see them differently. And we turn the gym and we silence our preconceived notions. Oh, we hush out our judgments and we go, oh, these are people who Jesus created and who I am meant to love. And then we start to engage them. And here's what's so amazing is that we can start to engage people in a way that when people meet us, they go, oh my gosh, I seriously just felt like I was loved, like Jesus would love me. And that person was different. The way they cared about me, I'm pretty sure that that is how Jesus would care about me. And you know, the only way I can stand up here and say this in in just a slight bit of confidence is because I have started to do this a little bit. I've started to do it just a little bit. There have been people who I would say even a year ago, I struggled to love. Oh, I had trouble with them. They're, they're just different than me and I didn't understand them. I didn't agree with them and I struggled so much to love them. I and mean, I'm telling you guys what, I have started to see people differently and it has changed my heart. It has changed my heart and it has changed my life. And I've started to get glimpses and get little tastes of this life that Jesus has for me. And I've loved people. And as a parent um, of three kids who apparently puke a lot, um, I asked this question, 
I ask, how do, how do I make sure, how do I help them? I want them to experience the best life. I want them to experience the fullest life possible. And I know that, that they watch me, they see me, they listen to me the way I talk and love and engage people. And uh, we had a first in our, our family this past year. We sent our oldest daughter, Scarlett, off to kindergarten. And we sat her down before she, she started school and we said to her, hey buddy, we're gonna make a goal for you this year. You're gonna have a great year, we're gonna make a goal for you. And she was all excited, she didn't know what a goal was and we told her and uh, we decided, although we do care about all the lessons she would learn and, and all the you know, math problems that she'd start to learn how to solve and all the books that she could read at the end of the year, we decided to make a goal for her that she would learn and develop and figure out how to really be kind to people be kind to people. And so we set out to do this and then uh, our conversation changed every night at dinner and, and at bedtime we would ask her, who are you being kind to and how are you being kind? Who were you kind to today and how were you kind to them? And I would go to her class and I would volunteer simply so that I could learn the names of the little kids in her class and I could learn the names of her teachers so then when I go home, we could actually talk about real people, right? And I've decided, you know, at the end of the day, man, if, if I could pick my kids figuring out um, how to see people a certain way, how to, how to truly be kind to people or how to learn a bunch of things or accomplish a bunch of things, for me, man, I would choose the first no question. And so, Although we talked about artwork and lessons she was learning, we spent a whole lot of time talking about her friends and their names and who she was kind to and how she struggled to be kind to some and how they made her laugh and how she didn't understand them. And it made for some very interesting conversations with the five-year-old. I've decided and realized that, um, you know, I don't want my kids to just like Jesus, but I want them to be like him. I really do. I want my kids to be like him. And, and parents in the room, uh, we are the most strategically placed people in their little lives to help them figure out how to be like Jesus, how to be like him. And so full circle, Scarlett, uh, back in May, she, she graduated from kindergarten, which I didn't even know was a thing. She just going to first grade. I don't know why she graduated, but she graduated, she made it. And so I went to her little graduation and every kid in her class got a little award. And I promise you, I'm not hanging my hat on this entirely. And I know there were repeat awards so everyone just calmed down, but Scarlett came home and she was so excited because she walked in the door with the friendship award. And I, um, I asked her teacher, I said, I wanna know what she was like. I said, I don't, I don't wanna know if she excelled in, I don't wanna know, you know, if she's really gifted at something. I said, I just wanna know what she was like to her, to her classmates and to teachers. And she said that she was very kind, very sweet, very inclusive. And I don't tell you this to pat myself on the back because my second daughter, she, she ain't gonna win no friendship award. 
we have work to do. She judges me depending on if I have makeup on or long dresses. I mean, she is, she's a brutal little thing. And I don't even tell you this because she got the award, but it was the way in which we decided to celebrate it. Because we took her out to dinner and, and we took her to get ice cream and then we let her get her ears pierced. Because I don't know how else you people celebrate big things in life, but we go get our ears pierced. And so we got our ears pierced and, uh, and we, we celebrated a great year because I want her to understand at a very young age that the way that she sees people, the way that she loves people, the way that she sees people the way Jesus does, that's what's actually going to lead her to her best life. That's what's actually going to give her a full life. That's what actually success at the end of the day will be defined by. And that's how she will start to understand this adventure that Jesus has her name written on. And he has the same for you. And so, you know, the how isn't necessarily clear, but I want you guys to go home. And I want you to read the story and I want you to work on this. I want you to start to see people differently. I want you to start to engage people differently and flip your own gym in your world because it will lead us to our best lives. I want you to see people as they are, how they are fully loved, how they are valuable, how they are created in the image of God. They were created on purpose and for a purpose and I want you to start to see them that way. There's a story in the Bible where where Jesus heals a blind man twice. The first time he heals him, he asks the blind man what he can see. And he says, I see people, but some of them look like trees. This is an issue. So then Jesus heals him a second time. And only after the second time can this blind man really actually fully see people the way that Jesus intended him to. And I think that's the same for us. Our first try, our first go around, our first attempt, oh man, it might be decent. But we might still see people like trees. The difficult ones still look like trees. The other ones look like people. And the best part about this and and the best part about Jesus is, man, he's saying, look, please and come ask me for help. I want to help you. I want the best life for you. You can come to me. You can say, help me see people the way that I'm supposed to. And Jesus will do just that. He'll do just that. And we will find this life. We will find this life that we were created for. Stand up with me, everybody. We're going to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you so much for the way you see people. Thank you so much for the way that you see me, that you see every person in here. That you saw us a certain way and and you loved us so much. You saw right through all of our mess that you decided to die for us so that we could have this relationship with you. And now it's our turn. Uh, We get to go love people. We get to see them a different way. And the amazing piece of it is that when we do that, you give us this life. You give us this experience. It's so unbelievably amazing. Jesus, help us to want that. Help us see people the way that you see them. Because we know that that is the way that we will experience the best life. And Jesus, it's just only because of you. It's only because of your beautiful name. It's only because of what you did that we even get the chance to see people the way you do. It's in your son that we pray, amen.